Welcome to the Shed Some Light podcast, a platform designed to guide you back into loving yourself. I'm Sarah Moncrief, self-love specialist, spiritual teacher, and your host. Let's dive in. Today's guest on the Shed Some Light podcast is Cameron Chase. We shed some light on him and who he is as an advocate and activist. But most importantly, we shed some light on misinformation when it comes to HIV, what it's like for him living with an HIV positive status and how he would like others to view that perspective. This is one of the best conversations I've had in a long time and I really hope you enjoy it. Okay, welcome everyone to the Shed Some Light podcast. Today I have Cameron, one of my favorite people. I love working with you. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. You're so organized. Butter, butter, me, butter me up. <laughs> no, honestly, you're so organized and I am, that's not one of my gifts. So I just really appreciate you keeping me in line. Oh my gosh. And I appreciate you feeding my ego. Yeah. Anytime. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself in any way that you want to right now. Yeah. So my name is Cameron Chase. I am a curator and artist and activist based in Toronto and, you know, just happy to be here. Still locked up, sort of. (laughs) It's like, I wish we could do this in person, but sadly, you know, virtual is the new the new vibe, but you know, we're going to have a great time. So this is something I've been thinking about a lot. What does being an activist mean to you? For me, it's just about like kind of realizing um, where your place is in terms of how you're going to continue or even start to elevate other um, communities and people who are from marginalized communities. And, you know, especially in the last like year and a half, there's really no um, way for people to kind of turn away from it now. Like everybody is involved and, you know, whether it be, we, we know people are busy, but whether it be even just like showing up to a protest or checking in on your friends or diffusing conversations that are going a, maybe a, not a great way. Um, it's really about just like standing up for, for other marginalized communities, especially like coming from a marginalized community. It's a very like, it's a club that so many people are part of. And so being an activist to me is just about like doing that, that work to make sure that everybody feels seen and heard and that there is like equality across the board in a variety of communities and ways and, and just really showing up for those who, you know, have been marginalized and don't have necessarily the voices of platforms in order to get their thoughts and their stories out. Do you think that there's like a differential between activism and advocacy? I think they kind of go hand in hand, right? Like you're able to really like, for me, like, you know, showing up for, for these communities, like, you know, last year it was a lot of, a lot of protesting. Um, We started to implement it into like the programming through work and really giving people that platform. So to me, like advocating for a community or advocating for a cause to me is also, it, it is a form of activism. Do you think it's almost like advocating precedes the active? Like it's like to advocate for creates the space and then the activism is the actual 
actions that one would take to follow through with the advocacy? Oh, completely. Like it's very much, you know, if, if you know that, um, you know, you you have a community that say is um, being marginalized and, and like you said, like you advocate for them, you want to create those spaces for them, you want to give them a platform. And then once those pieces are in place, that is when the actual like activism begins, like you are acting on the mm-hmm. um, the things that you've you've helped get into place or if they are already in place then you add you advocate for the space and then you um activate like you you do the activism when it's um when you have those spaces for it because it gives you the chance and the space to actually do the work not find places for the work not find you know let's let's find a space let's find this no no it's like actually when everything is set and then you're like okay now we can actually like do the work and and get the causes out there to the sort of mass you know population the mass of the city you know i think that that is such an applicable process to anyone's life like when we have to advocate for ourselves specifically it's like that's really where we're like Mm -hmm. creating the space for ourselves to actually then like do the work that we need to through our actions and i think just even moment to moment day to day I think that we should all really consider maybe taking on those titles for ourselves and then also for the communities in which need that extra support and that extra mm-hmm. um, energy to create something different. Completely agree. I recently read the article that you were interviewed about mm-hmm. um, your HIV status. Tell me a little bit about like why you wanted to be so brave and courageous and share about that and what that process was like for you. Yeah. So actually hilarious thing about that article (laughs) is that I was asked to write that like January, 2020, like so long ago, I completely, I completely forgotten about it until I got contacted by a news organization. They were like, could we interview you from this article? And I was like, what article? And then they sent it to me and I fully read it and was like, when did I write this? Like, it was such a weird thing. And then I was like, oh, this is definitely pre-pandemic. You're <laughs> so like, funny. I'm like reading it. I'm like, I would never fucking say that anymore. <laughs> I'm so different. Like after, like post, you know, the last 16 months. Yeah. So that was me really too. funny. Um, but yeah, like for me, um, I had fallen sick about four years ago and I was misdiagnosed with mono. So I was like, so, so sick. Um, and I thought I had mono. So I basically was asleep for like 40 days. And when I woke up, I just like, I had to get all my strength back. It took months, but I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And the funny thing is, is I had gone to the doctor and they had tested for everything, including HIV, but it was too early to actually detect it. So they, this is why sometimes I don't trust doctors a ton because they were just like, well, you have mono, even though there were like symptoms that I didn't have. Totally. And then they were just like, this is you. And so for six months, I was just like, oh, I'm so tired because I have mono. I'm so sick again because I had mono. Um, and then I actually went to, I got a GP and went into the doctor to get um, put on PrEP, which is the anti-HIV medication. And so you have to do a bunch of blood work for that. And I got a call um, about three days later and the doctor was like, you have to come in right now. And I was like, oh my God, I have cancer. Like, she's going to tell me I have cancer. 
this is so wild because HIV to me had never even like crossed my mind because they had already like quote unquote ruled it out yeah no so for it was sure there, yeah so I was like oh my god I this is probably why I'm so sick I went I'm in dying. and yeah she and she told she like sat me down first of all this doctor like bless her she did help me a lot but my god she had the worst fucking bedside manner I've ever heard oh, no. and so she was like she basically was like I just have to tell you like your blood work came back and you tested positive for HIV and I just kind of sat there and she's like do you have medical like do you have an are you covered and I was like no and she's like okay because this medication is about $1,400 a month for 30 pills and and so it was weird because she said that and I had so many thoughts like flash through my mind and the first one was well I can't afford that and so if this is gonna if I'm gonna like kind of go out now like okay like that you kind of just make this like bizarre piece with it right like I was just kind of like okay and then she's like we'll obviously get you the medication and I was like well lead with that then my god she was just <laughs> terrible um and so she's like so we're gonna have to go get more tests and whatever and then she like she said to me, is there anything you need from me? And I was like, yeah, you can get me better. And she was yeah. like, okay. And so went home, dealt with it for a couple of days, got another call from them. They're like, you have to come in right now. And I was like, oh God, now I have cancer. Jesus. <laughs> so I like went to the doctor and they're like, we don't have time to figure out what medication is good for you. We have to get you on medication today because one more flu and you're, you're in AIDS territory. And I was like, oh boy. Wow. Okay. So to give you a sort of sense, like, yeah. um, some, so CD4 is like your, um, your immune system. A regular healthy person probably has about like a CD4 count of about 1500 and 200 is where they diagnose you with AIDS. That is when your immune system is completely gone. There is no coming back. I mean, now med medication and whatnot can like, you can live with AIDS for the rest of your life. Like you right. just, it, you have a lot of stuff helping you. Um, but I was at 220. So if I had gotten one more flu like it was probably game over right like that there would just be no coming back from that um and so it was really hard to deal with for a couple months like I kind of swept it under the rug a little bit and ended up like throwing myself into work and ended up just being so stressed um and I had had to go off um anti-anxiety medication in order to get my body used to this medication and I hadn't been off that in like six years so I hadn't like felt stressed in mm -hmm. like years which was very surprising to me to suddenly not know how to deal with stress because we're so medicated oh my god so had no idea what it was like and started getting very 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 stressed out and then I went into this manic state where I didn't sleep for nine days wow. and nine straight days and then only napped for about two weeks and I just ended up having to like I was like I have to go like I have to I left work and my boss asked me, my production manager hilariously was like, can't you wait to go to the hospital for three days? And I waited for three no. days until we finished this insane festival. And then I went to Cam H and it was just, I was like, I'm having a mental breakdown. And basically they, my, went back into therapy. My therapist got me to quit <laughs> my job. Yeah. Like, thank you have goodness. to take care of yourself and all this stuff. And it was just the most wild thing because I had never, I had like not dealt with the diagnosis. I had not dealt with anything. And so like, you know, Eight months later, I was just like being hospitalized because I was so, yeah, for better lack of a better word, I hate using this word, but like I went a little crazy. Yeah. And it was just, I was so not myself. I had to go to therapy like five days a week for like a month to like just to deal with everything all out of pocket, very wild. 
Um, and then, you know, you kind of get used to it. And I continued my life on. And then about a year later, my friend who works for Bell Media called me up and was like, I'm doing this documentary on people living with HIV. And I think you'd be so good for this. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm yeah. good. Like, have no desire to be on TV. I'm like, good. Um, and then he called me again and asked me again. I was like, nah, I'm, I'm good. Like, bye. And then he's like, can I, can I at least like take you out for drinks and like pitch this to you? And I was like, you can do that, but I'll probably say no. <laughs> Naturally, he got me like a little drunk. You're and like, I yeah. Said yes. <laughs> I said yes. So it was weird because I knew at that moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to like, this is going to be public. Like it's going to be on MTV. It's going to go on the internet. It's going to like go on streaming. So it was like, I really had to make sure that I was like in for it. And I really kind of thought on it and I was like, well, honestly, like there are so many people who like don't have anyone to talk to, who don't have any of this support. So I might as well just like, just do it and fucking own it. And if people have a problem, I really don't give a shit. Like it really, when you feel like come kind of close, when you have a disease and you come close to like not coming back from it, you just like don't give a fuck. Totally. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I, I, I'm trying to censor myself, but I'm also no, like, please don't. <laughs> please don't. So, There's no um, need. Yeah. So then, um, we did the doc and it ended up going, it, it did quite well. Um, and it went on streaming, it aired on two channels, it went online. Um, and I didn't quite know how to like kind of process that, but it was a very interesting experience. And even though like it, how do I say this? Like it really got people talking and there yeah. was a huge amount of messages I would receive to it that I still receive, you know, people kind of disclosing to me, people who are feeling alone, people who are feeling like this is the end. Um, and so I was like, okay, so this all is for a bigger purpose. Even if sometimes I'm like, I am too emotionally exhausted to like yeah. deal with somebody's like, you know, you're receiving messages saying like, I'm on the verge of like killing myself over this. Then right. like, you know, but then it's like, oh my God, but I've, I've put myself in that public space that like I do, I will always respond. I will always like check in on them, but it, it, it is taxing. But I also did like put myself in that situation to be that person. I don't want people to ever feel like they couldn't message me about it. And so I received messages from like all over the world. It's really, really fascinating, but also like, it really speaks to how much stigma there still is behind it because yeah. the amount, even just the amount of people in my life, like I have like at least 15 people in my life who have like disclosed to me and three very good friends who have like disclosed to me. And no, and basically at the end, it's always like, well, this whole like feeling alone situation could have been avoided if people were just more honest. Because yeah. at this point, it's a, it's a chronic illness. You cannot pass it on to anybody if you're undetectable. You equals you undetectable equals untransmittable so you <laughs> cannot pass it on to anyone you know we live long healthy lives I am more healthy now than I was before and it's also like it is more it is safer to if you were going to like have sex with somebody it is safer to have sex with somebody who is undetectable than it is to have sex with somebody who does not know their status right right it's a very like a lot of people don't there is still so much stigma especially in the sense of like it is not just like a queer person's disease, like the, the largest um, new rate of infections is in like cisgender females age 25 to 32. Yeah. And I, I'm, I don't know if it's because of 
I think there's a lot of different factors, but like lack of education on it, the stigma behind it. I think the the way that uh, this sort of general, well, sort of millennials, but more so the generation underneath is a lot more like sexually fluid yeah. and a lot more like, it, like there's just more grounds to potentially spread disease that maybe people do not, are not even educated on. Like, you know, we tell women to get mammograms and pap smears like it's nobody's business but nobody ever tells people to go get an hiv test when it should be everyone getting it which is wild to me. well even to a point when um i got my first test done when i was in university like um std tests and like everyone mm-hmm. all the girls in my dorm were like okay we're going book your thing to the clinic and you gotta like get your swab and like do all mm-hmm. your things like when I went there they were like well do you want an HIV test and I was like absolutely why not like I should test everything and my mom when I told her that she was like no that's like for life insurance purposes if you say that you've gotten an HIV test it actually makes you in a more like risky category Mm -hmm. and i remember thinking like that's so fucked up oh that's so crazy when i had i had to get a third party insurance when i wasn't covered and um one of the very first things they asked me is do you have hiv or aids and i said no because i knew that it was going to push the premium up like 300 dollars because they the government still views us as damaged and that will you know and, and no hate to the people out there, but the conservative government seems to think that people who are HIV deserve to kind of like, they're going to suck the, the money out of public programs for something that they did to themselves, which is such bullshit. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's a very interesting thing, especially like, it, it's hard to to deal with stigma sometimes. Like, again, I, I kind of hit this point where I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, you know, I, I had to encounter people who like, wouldn't date me if I disclosed them or wouldn't like go out on a date because they were afraid. And like, I'm just like, do some fucking research, man. And like, people would like, you know, say like, oh, I can't, like I had one person who say, I can't date you. I don't understand the science behind it. And I don't want to get sick. This is in 2019. And I just sent him a bunch of articles. And he's like, I'm sorry. I was like, well, I'm not. So here, educate <laughs> yourself. Yeah. Like, it's just so, it's the same thing of like, would you not date somebody who has diabetes? Right. Right. like it's all it's all controllable this is the most insane thing though is like the stigma is still so insane and it, it's honestly also because of like the lack of education on it which is just wild because you know for years it was it was that trope people absorb information through movies and media right so like yeah. for years AIDS was like the death sentence it's still being used as like a stupid plot device that is so outdated there is a specific teen drama out there that I will not even mention the name of, but like the final season had somebody who one of the kids like got, you know, addicted to drugs and then all of a sudden like falls sick and they're like, you have HIV and then he dies of AIDS within like an episode. And I was like, this is so insane. It is 2020. Like this was 2020 at the time. I was like, yeah, this is insane. And it's insulting. Yeah. First of all, because again, it's just making look like people are dying and it's, and it, it's a thing that just really has to be dealt with. Like even, um, I remember watching the Freddie Mercury biopic and mm. in that one of the things was, Oh, he gets AIDS and then he gets really sick. And then his final performance at live aid is like this triumphant thing. I was so, first of all, I'm a huge queen fan. I know people can't see me right now, but I literally have it tattooed on me. I have like lyrics tattooed on me. I was so insulted by this biopic because in reality, at that point when Freddie Mercury did this live aid concert, he didn't even know he was sick. 
Right. So they literally used AIDS as this thing of like, oh, he's going to die and he's going to overcome this and like do this one last time. So it's still being used as a spot device of like, oh, it's death, it's this. And I know he actually died of it, but it's like you're, you're changing history and facts in order to fit a specific narrative, which is still a boohoo, this person died of AIDS and can't, um, you know, can't perform. And then at the very last minute can and overcomes it. See, like if this man can overcome his sickness and perform, like, you can do anything. I'm like, it's just twisted and fucked up. I, I could not get behind any of that shit. Totally. And, like, here's the thing is that you are dealing with people sending you, like, very heavy messages. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with your own health and well-being, which, you know, everyone's dealing with. But I just mean, like, the, when you were talking about the stress that you were mm-hmm. under after your diagnosis, it's like that level of stress is like worse on your body than Mm -hmm. most things, but it's not quantifiable. Like we can't say like, I remember listening to a podcast where they were talking about how in heart disease, that stress, how stressed you are is the number one indicator of whether or not you'll get heart disease. But because they can't measure that, they don't talk about Mm it. Like it just doesn't get the same amount of information as like, trans fats and like all that stuff. And I mean, like, cool, like, yes. Okay. We can measure the plaque in, in the heart ventricles and like whatever, but the stress, like we need to talk about the intangible aspects of life Mm -hmm. so that people can start to own that. We are not just these physical beings, you know, like we, there's so many more factors. So when you talk about that level of stress, I'm just thinking like how terrible that you're, it's not just a flu when you're at 220. It's like mm-hmm. the, that stress on your body mm-hmm. at 220, you know, like, I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, that's when you needed the most nourishment, like the most care. And I'm so glad that you were able to like, yeah, you know, take yourself through that path. But I also feel that, you know, so you're dealing with these people, these like heavy messages, because you're being in service by doing yeah. the doc and putting yourself out there, but then to also have to, to manage the misinformation, mm-hmm. right? So it's oh, like yeah. everything that you're saying is we can really relate and understand based on COVID, which is like the amount of misinformation. And it's really hard when you see people using misinformation to make money or to make a better plot line, yeah. but then like the, the vulnerable communities or the people who are having to actually live this out are the ones that get the impact of that. Exactly. And, and it's an interesting thing because a lot of people, um, specifically like people who are like straight in my life, you know, I, as as it sounds, I really had to like break it down for them because I knew automatically they thought I was going to die. And that was right. tended to be the, that tended to be the, the general reaction was like tears and stuff. I'm like, don't cry. We're in a restaurant. I'm like, if you embarrass me here, I will not speak to you. <laughs> and uh, it was just a lot of the way I, I explained it to them was like, okay, modern medicine is amazing. You know how, if you have cancer, you can go into remission. And they say, yeah. I'm like, it's kind of like that. It is yeah. dormant in my body. And you know, you take a pill every day. Although now they're, they're coming out with shots, like monthly shots. Um, and so it's like, okay, just take that pill every day and I am good. You know, you, you take it, you take it at the same time every day. It's like taking birth control at the same time every day to keep like everything moving at a, at a good pace and you don't offset it. 
but it is like it it is kind of crazy to be reliant on this medication to live because right. if i get off the medication i will start getting sick again right and it's crazy because when i initially got diagnosed i did not remember what it was like to not be sick every single day i used to take like eight or nine pills a day just to like get out of bed right because i felt like crap for eight months i had no idea what it was like to even like feel like you were healthy Mm-hmm. And so when I got on this medication and I became undetectable, I'm now more healthy than I've ever been because there's so many boosters in it that keep you healthy. Like I have not been sick, quote unquote. I mean, I had COVID, but like aside <laughs> from like, like getting sick, quote unquote, I haven't been sick in years. Right. Unless I've, unless I've like worn myself, like if I'm on vacation and I have like gone and partied for days, I can get a little sick just because I've worn myself down. But for the most part, I do not get sick. I do not get like, I take such good care of myself and you kind of have to. But it's also, it's nice to um, know that I have that extra bit. And it's like, okay, like, you're now the healthiest you've ever been. Do not fuck it up. Like, it's a very, like, nice thing. And then to feel good was something I'd completely forgotten what it was like. Right. Totally. How do you protect yourself against managing other people's emotions like when you were just expressing like having to break it down for other people like how like this is something that as an empath someone who's empathic Mm -hmm. I deal with all the time like when something's happening to me I feel like then as soon as you disclose it to someone close to you you also have to go through it with them yeah I mean it was an interesting thing because like I was very I tend to be pretty light about it Mm -hmm. like people be like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm so mad at this. I'm like, hey, at least you don't have HIV. Like, <laughs> you kind of, it like puts things back to perspective. People are like, oh my God, I couldn't get this. Like my favorite bottle of wine. I'm so mad. I'm like, yeah, girl. Like imagine like having HIV. Like it's just very, you kind of have to keep it light and like kind of make fun of yourself a little bit as well. Like when people like were crying when I would tell them, I was like, okay, if I'm not crying, you cannot cry. This is insane. Like, yeah. and it's a very, and I understand it's because they're scared and they're, they don't know. But at the same time for me, I'm like, I'm telling you, like, I'm fine. You're not even going to know. And I think what really puts them into this thing is I'm like, okay, like I'm undetectable. So if you were to give me an HIV test, it would come out that I have, I'm completely fine, that I'm not sick at all. Right. And they, and it's like, whoa, like they, they try to wrap their mind. I was like, it's because I'm in remission. And they just like, when you say in remission, it's weird. When you break down cancer, when you break down like a cancer way, people like get it, right. which is so weird because cancers touch everyone, right? And like, but HIV doesn't necessarily touch everybody. So to kind of relate it to the being right back to when it was first discovered and it was, you know, the quote unquote gay cancer, it's interesting because you break it down in cancer ways and they suddenly get it. Totally. But you know what, whatever gets them educated on it and trying to, I, you know, if there's a new documentary on things or stuff, I always tell people like, you should watch this, it's really fascinating. Now we're starting to get a bit more um, positive representation in media, even just like on, there was a show called Pose that just ended and it's about the ballroom scene in the eighties in New York. And it's got the largest transgender cast on television, all transgender women of color, which is amazing. And a lot of the characters on that show have HIV and AIDS, but it's it's interesting because it takes place during the AIDS crisis and it is very sad because people constantly are dying, but at the same time, they're giving it from a 2021 lens of, yes, but like, we're going to live. We're going to live like, like we've now kind of had everything put into perspective. Now you just want to like live your best life. You just don't 
care after a while. And then you, you know, you get positive and then you go into your thirties and now you really just don't care. I just like, <laughs> you know, anything that happens, I'm like, oh, could be worse. Yeah. Or like, oh, okay. Cause I, it's weird. Cause I consider HIV to be the most like, I mean, it's so deeply personal, but it's also like the best and worst thing to ever happen to me. I think, you know, I've said this a million times, but I truly think that there is a curse with every blessing and there's a blessing with every curse. Like it's just, you can't really get away from the two sides to everything, you know, and, and it's even money, even, you know, like power, like there, if you like fame, like it doesn't matter what the thing is and how much people Mm -hmm. want something. It's like, how many times do you have to see the child star go through the, like, you know, the, the fallout of being that child star mm-hmm. before you're like, okay, this maybe yes, we're all like, not all, but people are striving towards this thing, but like, don't even know what they're preparing for in the Completely. downfall of it, you know? And yeah, and there's these other things that just like come into our lives in which seems like the worst thing to ever happen. And it, oddly enough become something so empowering and poignant to your purpose and your impact on this planet like to be able to receive those messages just shows what an impact you're making on a consistent basis Mm -hmm. and that's and and it's a really nice like it's nice to be reminded of that but it's also like oh my gosh there's still so many like like you i'm i'm similar to you in the empathic way of like you just absorb everything that people are like saying to you Mm -hmm. and especially like when I became positive I had already been like working in a lot of like diversity and inclusion but it really like put me on that like that that extra push I needed because like HIV disproportionately affects communities of color and low-income communities and you know a lot of times they can't even get the the medical help that they need and the treatment and you know, there was a point in, I was on the West Coast earlier this year, and I stupidly forgot all my medication. No. Uh, I had, because I am not used to going somewhere for like months at a time. Right. And I just grabbed my pill bottle. I'm usually like good for that. And I didn't bring the rest of the medication. So I called up my doctor immediately and was like, I've forgotten this. They sent me a, a three day or they were like, we're sending you a emergency um, refill but it's going to take three days to get there. So like you have to go get covered for these few days. When I tell you trying to get HIV medication in another, just in another city, first of all, there's one hospital in all of Vancouver that deals with it. Already wow. that's like one big fucked up. Decision. Red flag. Yeah. And then when I got there, I had to wait in the emergency room during COVID for nine hours. while there was literally a woman with bleeding eyes next to me who clearly needed like the space, but I can't go, like I'm, I'm in there. I'm like, just give me, just give me the damn prescription. This is insane. And then to find out the hospital can't even fill it, nothing could like happen. So I went, I had to go to a pharmacy. There's one pharmacy in Vancouver that dispenses the medication. Wow. This is so, it, that is so beyond fucked up. I talked to the, to the woman there and she's, I was like, this is, this is awful. And she's like, yeah. She's like, I see it every day. And I was just like, yeah, that's, really sad and it cost me $500 for seven pills wow I never had to go through that before I've always had my medication covered I've been very very privileged and very lucky to have that but there yeah. are so many people who do not and it is 2021 people should not be dying of HIV and AIDS complications 
Right. It's absolute insanity. And it's still like, this even extends beyond, like it extends to the laws that are in place. Um, it is still illegal, um, even if you're undetectable, it is still illegal to um, not disclose to somebody that you're sexually intimate with. Right. They could sue you for sexual assault. Um, and assault? now it does, does, yeah, because you're, you know, and you could infect them, quote unquote, and it could, you know, result in that. Even though if you're undetectable, you can't. So the law has not caught up with it. There is, there was a story a few years back where a, a man had had sex with two women. He was HIV positive. They found out he was undetectable, but they sued him for sexual battery and assault. Um, he ended up getting off because they were able to prove that he cannot pass it on. Right. So it's not, so it, they just haven't changed the law yet. And it still leads right back to like gay men were up until literally a few years ago were banned from giving blood, which is insane. Right. Not like, God forbid, you can't use our taxes to like, can't just <laughs> divert some funds from the police to like go and <laughs> test the blood. I mean, right everybody's blood it's insane um and then you know people advocated for it um they protested for it they lowered it they eventually were like okay yes gay men can donate but you have to have been celibate for a year like, okay let me just tell you right that? now no gay man is going to be celibate for a year like I'm and then right like now. because they want to share blood <laughs> like it's so stupid so then they lowered it to three months but abstinence for three months it's like you could go and have sex with people and go and lie on that form. Right. Like, it is so insane to me that they're like, oh, no, no, no. But, you know, people have sex. It's like, well, what about people who are, you know, what about a, a woman who is bisexual, so she, you know, dates women, but she also has slept with, with men who, you know, also identifies bisexual or pansexual or, or whatnot. And they're all, like, it, it's such a backwards law that is so insane and all leads back to the stigma of HIV from, like, the AIDS crisis, which... Yes, was not long ago. It was 30 years ago, which for any listener out there, when people tell you that this is the worst <laughs> pandemic in 100 years, tell them they're full of shit. Because <laughs> actually, because, and yes, COVID is terrible. It has been awful. There are like 5 yeah. million people worldwide dead. AIDS, there are 33 million people dead and nobody still fucking talks about it. And it's fucking infuriating. Sorry. Woo! I'm like, wow. I fired up on that. It's infuriating. Yeah, that is. Because you know, people are like, oh, this is the worst pandemic. I'm like, no, it's not. You just haven't been touched by, quote unquote, the worst pandemic. So like, it, it is so, it is so gross and so sad. And I just, yeah, you know, I, it, I get really passionate about it. It's really challenging because we, we are like three-dimensional beings. So we yeah. live in a world where to experience something m- means it gives you the ability to understand it like yeah. when you actually go through it but the problem is is that we don't have time anymore to yeah. personally have to go through everything to understand the perspective of another human and i think that this is really where i can see that there could be a ton of growth and development in humanity mm-hmm. is if we really trusted one another and trusted each other's experiences and i think yeah. that there is still this, I don't even know if it is a misconception or not. I'd love your thoughts, but, but it's almost like people are complaining or people are, um, making it worse, like sound worse so that they Mm -hmm. like get special privilege or that something happens. Like, I feel like there's this idea that people are lying 
about how bad things can be from whatever mm-hmm. perspective we're looking at. And it's just like, we, we really need to do the work to heal our connection within humanity so that we can really start making some real strides forward. It doesn't need to be so hard if we really relied on each other to speak from different places and respected each other's vantage points and opinions. And like you keep saying, educate, because you're right. The world is getting more and more fluid. It Mm -hmm. is getting less and less black and white. And I see the advantage of that. Like I see why that's happening. It's because, you know, I was listening to a a really, really, really great podcast um, with a look. I think, I think they pronounce their name a look. They are transgender or sorry, non-binary. And they're talking about how non-binary doesn't mean the difference between female and male. Mm -hmm. It means the difference between you and me like human, Mm -hmm. human to human, you know, I think that there's a oneness that this fluidity is really creating that we need to experience as human beings. I hundred percent agree. But the best way to do that is really to respect one another from where we're coming from and lend to that empathy, lend to that compassion and love to really lead the way so that we can fully step into that without having to go through all the hardship ourselves. It's like, do we want to learn through pain or do we want to learn through respect and honor and integrity, you know? And, and honestly, that's something that has been very, I've really been dealing with in the last few years is I grew up in a very, very evangelical household, Mm -hmm. um, which like is a whole other, that is a whole other episode. (laughs) Um, But basically like, you're taught from a very young age, um, and this is not every religion, this is my experience, but you're taught from a very young age to hate yourself. You know, I knew I was gay, I knew I was queer, and you're taught, like, you're going to burn in hell, you're going to do this, you're choosing to be this way, you have to go to conversion therapy, it fucks you up. Wow. So when you, when you finally come into your own, like, I basically, like, the moment I turned 18 was like, fuck y'all, <laughs> you're all actually hypocrites, I call them hypocristians. Um, you're hypocrites, and thankfully my parents. I've never have heard that. that. I love that. Yeah, I, I tend to tell people like this sounds so bad, but like I tend to tell people I grew up in a cult and I escaped the cult. <laughs> and my parents have also like gone super, super liberal. And only recently have we talked about like the amount of trauma it caused me, especially growing up like a biracial kid in like the Bible mm-hmm. Belt. You're really taught. Like I remember sitting in church and then being like, "AIDS is God's wrath for homosexuals." It is him saying, you are not good enough. This is, this is a blessing for people. So when you end up getting the call right. saying that you're HIV positive, even though I don't believe in any of that shit, it still is very like triggering because you're like, oh my God, this is exactly what they said. This is exactly what they said was going to happen. And, you know, I should have listened. Then you're like, no, this is terrible because ultimately, like you said, the world is getting more fluid. We are getting more open. Like, I, I personally think like, you know, gender is this colonial construct and, and it's just very like, people are saying like, a man has to do this. A woman has to do this. You can't do this if you're born here. You can't do this if you're born here. It's so insane. And ultimately, I do think it comes down to like, there was a lot of religion when this country was, was founded. Obviously, it has like had a ripple effect through generations of people. And now I think because of the internet, because of like, social media because of being able to see how the world reacts 
see how the world is, not just taking things at face value or like reading it in a newspaper. People are way more open to being like, oh, yes, there are different people out here. Let's learn, let's do this. Let's, and, and positive representation in media. You know, obviously there are people who are trying to fight against that, but for the most part, I do think that, especially the younger generation are growing up in this like, you no longer really truly, you know, depending on where you live or whatnot or your situation, you don't really have to hide anymore to be a queer person. And what I do think is needs to kind of be reeled in a bit is the lack of, with this generation up and coming, I don't think they tend to know about the AIDS crisis a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the type of thing of like, if you, I can't remember the exact phrase, but like those who is that those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it or something like that. Yes. Um, and, and I just think that, you know, with modern medicine and everything, like, yes, you can be more yourself and outspoken, but I really don't think that, like, we should forget sort of who stood there and, like, made our community, like, come out of the shadows and who stood there and helped um, during this crisis. Like, it was so interesting. I was saying to somebody the other day, there... Um, there's like a, not always, but there, there is this like disconnect between like gay men and lesbians. Oh. Because, you know, you're just, you just, I mean, I have a lot of great lesbian friends, but like you don't tend to see lesbians in gay bars a lot. Like they have their own bars. Like it's a very different world. And I mm-hmm. wish that we were more connected, but it's interesting because I just read a fact the other day that um, the, the le- so the L, the L and LGBTQ plus stands for lesbian. The reason the L comes first is out of out of a thank it's, it's a thank you because lesbians were the nurses were a lot of the nurses that took care of gay men during the AIDS crisis. Oh. They were there because it wasn't necessarily it was disproportionately affecting gay men, not so much gay women, but it's we're still part of the same community. So having like this group take care of of these these men who are dying and like really oh, advocating so for them and going into like ACT UP, which is like the um, uh, ACT UP was a, a way of getting the government to pay attention to AIDS because even like in the States, like Ronald Reagan did not even utter the word AIDS his, for I think seven years. Don't quote me on that. I think it was seven years of his, of his presidency. He didn't ever mention it and he just let people die. So, you know, people wonder why like gay people don't trust like the religious right it's literally because they left us to die right and and you know even just the propaganda behind it there was there was a thing i saw the other day that was an old um poster from the aids crisis and it was of a quote-unquote typical american family you know mom dad sister brother um they all had masks and it was like protect your family from aids it was like so you'll wear a mask to protect yourself from AIDS, people with AIDS, but you won't wear a mask to protect your neighbors and your friends from COVID. The amount of hypocrisy is insane. It still continues to this day, and it's, we have to advocate for it. And, you know, I, it's hilarious because I called myself an activist earlier, and I, like, hate referring to myself as that, but it's true. Like, we have to, we have to, quote, unquote, act up. Like, we got to, like, get shit moving and, and really make this thing. And, like, everything goes back to just, like, stigma and well, not understanding. Even I'm just like so grateful to have this conversation because you outlining things indirectly to one another, like this pandemic versus this pandemic, what people did then and what people did now, it really puts things into context 
for, for those mm-hmm. who don't know that, you know, like, I think it's just so important to make it clear mm-hmm. what's happening. And I think it is by having these conversations that a whole bunch of people that wouldn't normally maybe get this information are going to listen to this and be able to be like, Oh, okay. Wow. That's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it gives them, you know, the beginning of the yarn ball to start moving themselves. And I just think, you know, I I thank you for being a, for coming and talking to me. Like I was just so grateful that you said yes. And I also really feel like I know that in the people who will listen to this podcast, that this will be one of the most impactful interviews. Oh, that's so wonderful. Honestly, this is free therapy for me. If you had to listen to me. (laughs) No, not at all. I think. Free therapy. (laughs) I think you um, have obviously had to create like a, a barrier between you and the world so that you can mm-hmm. like take really good care of yourself at times. But just know that like, I hope for one day that that's not what you need to do and that it's just really oh. easy. Yeah. And honestly, like one of the last things I'll say is I'm just like, to me, I am like the living embodiment of someone who's healthy. Like, you know, I yes. am the healthiest that I've ever been. You know, I'm on medication. I'm undetectable. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmitted. <laughs> um, and you know what? I'm going to live like a full, healthy life. And yes, there is that underlying thing of like, I'm quote unquote sick, but that's honestly what kicked my ass in the gear. And I probably would still be a raging alcoholic had I not like, you know, changed my life. And I would, I, right. I always think I'm like, would I be raving in the desert still? Who knows? <laughs> I'm like, it really took that to change myself and change the, the trajectory of my life. And I, I am fucking thriving, honestly. And, and that's the thing is like, HIV is not a death sentence at all, at all. And so, you know, you thrive and you, you just live and that's all you can really do. I'm so grateful to have been here. I love you very much. And that was so like, honestly, kind of cathartic. So Okay, good. Yes, I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope today's episode shed some light. Let us know how it resonated with you. And if it did, share with someone you love. Hit the subscribe button and follow along on our Instagram, shedsome.light, or our website, shedsomelight.ca.